First Chronicles 22, let's look at verse 6 to verse 16. Uh, Pastor Ian Wainaina. Um, look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Pastor Ian Wainaina was recently reading a book on uh, Richard Williams. Now, Richard Williams is the father of the tennis stars, uh, Serena and Venus. And uh, what struck him as he was reading this book, he was telling me, was the vision of this, this man, uh, Richard Williams. What struck him, what happened was after watching a tennis match, Richard Williams is, is so inspired, he goes on to write, and I quote him, without hesitation, I say to myself, I'm going to have two kids and I'm going to put them in tennis. I went into my office and began to plan for the day. My daughters would dominate the game of tennis. My plan was a 78-page typewritten document covering every aspect of tennis training for my daughters. Now, when he wrote those words, he didn't have any daughters. He knew nothing about tennis and was about to move his family to Compton. But what he had was a vision, a vision for his children. Today is Father's Day, and we're going to look at our text at another father who has a vision for his son. It is a vision so strong that he spends time, energy, thought, and prayers for his son. Thank you, Bobby. So let's read our text, First uh, Chronicles chapter 22. We want to look at verse 6 to verse 16. Then he, this is King David, called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of my Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you who will be a man of rest and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give him peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you, and may you prosper, and build the house of the Lord your God, as he has said to you. Only make the Lord... Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper 
If you take care to fulfill the statutes and the judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold, 1 million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant. I have prepared timber and stone also, and you may add to them. Moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen and stone cutters and all types of skillful men for every kind of work, of gold and silver and bronze and iron, there is no limit. Arise and begin working, and the Lord be with you. I want to consider as we think about it this Father's Day. And a father is right now doing his business. You know, we're sitting here, actually we're a very privileged church. There are many young men here, young women here, older men, older women that are sitting here in the church. You have a father. If you have a dad in this congregation, uh, then uh, you are blessed. And I pray that they this day have that sense from you, from uh, your wife, uh, blessing, uh, because it is a privilege. Uh, Here in our text, as we think about fathers, what we're looking at, first of all, is a father's responsibility. And I'm preaching this morning to you, Father. I'm preaching to the dads that are in the house. In our text... David said, it was in my mind to build God's house, but the word of God came to me. If we stop right here, we might have a problem because unrealized dreams make frustrated parents. We've all seen, we've all heard of the driven father on the football sidelines We've all read about or, or, or uh, seen the mother at the beauty pageant, frustrated parents, dreams that were not realized in their own lives, opportunities that they didn't have, and so they place upon their children unrealistic pressure, pressure about education, Pressure to enter into certain professions, fame, financial success. Parents that in their own lives were stopped, were hindered, never saw what they wanted. It is all too common to see parents and fathers that perhaps have failed or didn't have the opportunities they needed now living their dream through their children urging, driving. It's simply an extension of themselves. But in our text, what we're looking at, instead of that, is a revelation of his responsibility. He says in verse 9, Behold, a son shall be born to you. This is God speaking to David who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I've given him, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. 
uh, David uh, has a revelation of the responsibility of stewardship. He has an understanding. He has a revelation that his child was not simply his, that God had given him this child. I will be to him a father, and he will be to my son. He will be to me my son. And I would say to every parent and every father, the child that is in your care is more than simply yours. Pastor Yomi, speaking to a young father, said these words, pray for God to give you wisdom with your children. They were with him before they were with you. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 to 7, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. God gives to every father the responsibility of, of stewardship of the child that is in their care. We're talking about a dad that sees ahead. A good man, Proverbs thirteen twenty two says, leaves an inheritance to his children's children. We're talking about a man who's looking ahead. We read of Abraham as he's concerned that his son is going to just marry anybody. And he makes his servant swear a vow that he's going to find his boy, his young son, a wife when he's older, and not to take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites. He has a revelation. My child belongs to God first, and I'm to direct and, make a, 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 and have a plan for my child in God's will. Steve Farrar, and this is worth a book for every dad to buy, it's called Point Man. And in that book, it describes the role of a father. And he sees it as, and the word, the title of the book, Point Man, is talking about a soldier in a platoon that goes ahead of the patrol. His job is the scout. He's to look for the best way forward. He's to be looking for the dangers and the greatest chance of success. He is, if you like, the eyes of the group. Every father is to be the point man of his family, to be ahead of the group, to be looking ahead. He has a vision for his family. Train them up in the way that they should go, Proverbs 22 verse 6 says. And as Jacob is lying on his deathbed, he calls in his sons to his, his, uh, his bedside. These sons are going to be the fathers of the Jewish nation. Through them, a nation is going to be born, and he speaks over every single one of them a future. For some, he's warning them about their weakness. Some of them, he's exhorting them to give them courage. Others, he's encouraging. Others, he's blessing. Because this is what a father does. He understands that the children that are in his care, 
God has a purpose for, and he sees himself in the role of doing everything he can to see that fulfilled. The Ephesians 6.4 in the Passion Translation says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children, but raise them up with loving discipline and counsel that brings the revelation of our Lord. So let's consider secondly this morning at a vision at work. Now, it is clear, even from our text, that David is not a perfect man. He is disqualified in many arenas. In fact, because he shed blood, he cannot build the house of the Lord. He cannot build the temple. He's not perfect. But he's still not afraid to be a father to Solomon. You see, there are many men, perhaps because of their own experience of having no father to follow or a bad example, they fear fatherhood. There are many young men that are tormented. Will I be a good father? How am I going to succeed? There are some young men that don't want children, not because of Uh, any other reason than simply they're afraid to fail. They have no previous reference points and therefore feel very vulnerable and feel they don't have a confidence. Now the truth is David could have felt that way. His father was not there for him. He was outside. He was left in the fields alone many times and And uh, his father had even forgotten about him in critical moments. Yet it was in the fields that he found his creator and his savior and God fighting for him. In other words, you might not have had the perfect upbringing. You might not have had the perfect example of a father. But yet if you will meet with God, If you will meet with a creator, if you will learn from him, it is in that identity in God that gave David a sure footing and a courage. While I was in Australia, I met up with Pastor Ross Hounslow. Many of you will remember Pastor Ross and Sister Judy. They were assistant pastors here for a number of years. And... uh, uh, I remember when he was bringing up his boys, uh, uh, number, I'm thinking uh, how many of his boys are in the ministry. Two of his boys are definitely pastoring. Others are involved in ministry, doing something for God. And uh, uh, their daughter is a pastor's wife, a tremendous family. When he was raising his family, when they were younger, he installed into them, we are Hounslow's. That meant something. We're not like other families. Other families might do this. Other families might do that. But we are the Hounslows. That means something. It reminds me of the story in Jeremiah when God is going to commend a tribe called the Rechabites. Jeremiah offers these Rechabites wine and they reply to him. And he says, we will drink no wine. 
For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, nor have any of these. But all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, and our daughters. They said, we know who we are. Uh, Pastor uh, Theo in Sydney, who I preached for after the conference, we uh, uh, spoke about this sermon together, and Brother Ian Wainaina, and Pastor Theo told a, a story. His, his children went to a Christian school. And it doesn't take long before you realize not every Christian has the same view about a lot of things. Can you say amen? And uh, uh, he found himself as his children were in this Christian school. His boys, he's got, uh, Pastor Theo has four uh, great young men. They're all young men now today, uh, sons, and uh, 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 great young men. And they brought up in this Christian school, and he had to teach them. It doesn't matter what other Christians do. It doesn't matter what other families do. This is who we are. This is our identity. This is what we believe the Word of God teaches. This is, in other words, he also drilled into his children an identity. This is who we are. Now, in our text, we have a father, King David, who doesn't have a very good upbringing, who doesn't have all the best starts in life, but yet because of his sense of faith and identity with God's people, he's strong as a father, has a strong ideal of what he believes for his son, and it plays out in very practical ways. In the first thing, it plays out in trouble. Verse 14, it says, Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord. He goes on to say about gold and silver. He said, I have prepared timber and stone also that you may add to them. He said, I have taken much trouble. Fatherhood is not easy. To be a dad is not easy. That Hebrew word trouble means depression, <laughs> misery, afflicted. In other words, to be a father, you've got to understand it matters to you. It's going to cause me trouble, but it's worth the effort. Being a father is worth the pain. Being a father is worth seasons of anguish. It's worth uh, the stresses. It's worth the trouble. In fact, one could argue that David worked harder to build the temple than Solomon did. When Richard Williams was wanting to teach his girls tennis, he took lessons himself. He read every tennis magazine and watched hours and hours of tennis. For Richard Williams, when he thought about the vision for his girls, he said, it is worth the effort. Every father in the house has got to embrace, it is going to be hard, it's going to be a challenge, it's going to cost me, but it's worth it. 
It's worth the expense. He says, indeed, I've taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord, 100,000 talents of gold, 1 million talents of silver, bronze and iron. Now, as you sit here this evening, this morning, you may not have a 1,000 talents or a million whatever, but you can still invest the one, the two, or the five that God has given you for your children's future. Most of our parents are not extremely wealthy. I think of my parents who have gone on now, but they sacrificed. They, they were uh, 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 well off, I guess, but not extremely wealthy. But they sacrificed for me to have an education. I understand that more today than I did as a young boy. There are others that are sitting here your father, your mother may have worked two jobs, may have left their own family trying to forge a better life for you. There are many that are sitting here, if you would just pause, you would realize that your father, your mother, in, in many cases, but certainly I'm, we're referring now, looking at our fathers, they paid a price. Good fathers pay a price for their children. It wasn't all about David and his comfort. It wasn't all about how he was going to live. He personally sacrificed for the sake of his children. I want to throw this in. I remember Pastor Mitchell teaching us many, many years ago. He said, working at your marriage and staying together for the sake of the children is valid. He said, we live in a generation that, that dismisses marriage very, very quickly. And, and well, you know, we, 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 we're not going to stay. You know, he, said, he used to teach us, even staying together for the children is valid. It's a sacrifice for the sake of our children. I was thinking about Rob Walsh and uh, Sister Anne, who uh, they sent the God placed in their hearts and, and also obviously their son, a desire to be a missionary. And uh, their son Josh and his wife Maz were launched out of the last Sydney conference uh, into Mauritius. So they're there now with Sachin and Poonam. I've seen pictures of the two family together, fellowshipping together. He's just arrived there. He's got a 10-year visa. It's a real miracle. We're so happy for them. And, uh, but, but they have several beautiful children. Josh and Maz have, I think, three young children. Well, what that means for Pastor Rob and Sister Anne, that by sending them to Mauritius, they're losing their grandchildren. When you have grandchildren, you don't care about your children anymore. No, that's not true. Where's Lisa Marie? That's not true. That's not true. But, but when you have a grandchild, I'm telling you, it's like, she said, you didn't even say hello to me. Oh, sorry. It's like, oh, hello. You know, it's, it's grandchildren are something else. Those of, you with, those of you that don't, right now, you, you know, but, but those of us that, you, you understand what I'm saying. So Rob and Anne, because it's the will of God, 
are willing to sacrifice their own pain, and I tell you it's a pain, to see their children fulfill what God has for their lives. That's deep, folks. To want your children to fulfill what it is that God has for them, no matter what it costs you. We're talking about how to, we're talking about the practical ways he prepares for his children. It takes effort. It takes a financial price. It sometimes takes emotional sacrifice. And it involves the teaching about people. David says to Solomon, you may be King Solomon in life, but life is not lived alone. He says to David, moreover, he says to Solomon, moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen and stonecutters, and all types of skillful men for every kind of work. Solomon, let me impart something to you. You are not going to be able to live life successfully without understanding you need people. And how you treat people, Solomon, is going to be critical. Solomon, I know you're going to be king, but you're going to, be, you're going to need a stone cutter. You're going to need a tradesman. You're going to need men and women that if you look down at them, you're going to fail in life. Teaching your children manners. Father, teaching your son and your daughters how to treat other people is critical. How to treat your young boy, how to shake someone's hand with a firm grip and to look them in the eye when they're being spoken to to teach them respect to how to respect their teachers, how to respect the ushers in the church. When an usher tells one of the children off that are running around in this auditorium, we should back the ushers. <laughs> Was that an usher up there giving a bit of an amen or an ex-usher giving a bit of support there? We teach them that. We teach them to respect adults. We, we, we teach, and I understand sometimes you have to go to bat in our age. We teach our sons chivalry. We teach them to step back when a woman comes past and open a door. We still should teach our children to stand up perhaps and let her, and offer a seat. I know that's not always popular in our day, but I think it's chivalrous. We teach our sons to take care of women. Success, Solomon, is linked to others. I, I, I appeal to parents, and I know it's hard because our children see us on our phones often, FaceTime calls and phone calls, and I understand that. It's, it's more difficult in our age than ever. But you make a mistake, Father, I believe. I go to restaurants, I go out, you see the children not even involved in any conversation. They've been given an iPad. They've been given a, a gadget, and they're playing the games. They have no idea how to have, be involved in a conversation 
or to watch a conversation between adults. You do very well to teach your child how to be involved and to link with people because ultimately it's not just what we do for God, but it's who we are as a person. I close with personal responsibility. When I came in, we, we, went, we bumped into a couple and uh, the wife said, Pastor, looking forward to you preach. When you come back, you, you preach five points because <clears throat> you've been away for a while. So I'm looking forward to uh, <laughs> honoring that request. No, I'm not. I'm going to personal responsibility. Let's, David, despite not having a father with a vision for him, went on to do great things for God and was a friend of God and the king of Israel. His son, however, who had a father with a vision, started well, but didn't end up so good. Because ultimately, the message of our text is personal responsibility. You can have a father who has a vision for you, church kid. You're brought up in the house of God. You've had a dad that's done his best to try and instill in you vision. He's, try, he's paid a price. He is paying a price financially, emotionally. He tries to teach you about people and emotionally carries burdens. But ultimately, you're going to have to make a decision for yourself. Whether you have a good father or whether you don't, ultimately, David says to Solomon, you must arise and begin working and the Lord will be with you. Ultimately, every one of us has a calling to arise before God and do what we were created to do. And for everyone to whom much is given, Luke 12, verse 48, from him much will be required. You sit in a church, young man, young woman. You sit in a place where you have heard the word of God. You've been instructed. You are surrounded by many examples. Into your hands is given much opportunity if you will just here, and to whom much is given, much is required. You cannot sit and say, well, I didn't have this and I didn't have that. God is a just judge. And sometimes, like Isaac and his father Abraham, Abraham had done so much for God, but yet Isaac still had to redig the wells that his father dug. You may have had a great example, son, but somewhere you are going to have to take personal responsibility and dig for your own future. Dig for what God has for you. And bronze and iron beyond measure, David said to his son, for it is so abundant, I have prepared timber and stone also. Listen to these words, and you may add to them. The aim of every father, the belief, is if I can give you the right tools, if I can equip you to the best of my ability, give you divine deposits, that you have the potential to take it further 
than your father's. I sat this week in Perth every morning with Pastor Greg Mitchell as he spoke with pastors before prayer. I watched him preach. I've been with him. I've had the privilege of being with him in many meetings and watching him function. And I remember his father, Pastor Wayman Mitchell, the founder of our fellowship, saying to Pastor Greg when he was a young man, you don't have to be a preacher. Just don't end up in prison. That was kind of the words of advice. He didn't drive him. But somewhere along the way, Pastor Greg heard the call of God and entered the ministry. And as he did, Pastor Mitchell poured his life into him. And as I've sat with Pastor Greg this week and in other weeks in the past, I am convinced that in Pastor Greg is the ability, the calling, the equipping to cause our fellowship to be even greater than it was under Pastor Mitchell. I don't say that lightly. I don't say that for any other reason that I believe that's the calling of a great dad, Pastor Mitchell, giving his son the ability to take it further than he ever did. You're sitting here and maybe you had a dad like that. But you, like the prodigal son, have taken the inheritance that you were given and you have squandered it. You've not lived how you should have lived. But you're awakening this morning and you're saying, I want to come back to God and live for what I was called to live for. We must embrace the vision God has for us and for our children. I'm talking to spiritual fathers. I'm talking to natural fathers. And I close with this. Two, two little things I want to add. And, and I want, it's a long passage of Scripture. And you might want to turn to it in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to verse 37. As we close this message. And I pray that God would speak to you powerfully as we close with this scripture, because God is our Father. You're sitting here and I don't know your upbringing. I don't know the relationship you had with your natural father. But I can speak to you because I know God. For those of you that are born again, God is your Father. And I say to you, He has a vision for us. And He's working towards it. He's committed to it. He pays a price for it. Sometimes it's joy. Sometimes we cause him much pain. But he gave everything so you could fulfill it. He doesn't leave you alone. He's committed to help you succeed in it. And it is a vision that empowers us. Romans 8, 28 and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he knew you before you were born. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He has a vision for you, 
fallen man and fallen woman, broken by sin, by others, by people, by your own life, hurt, wounded, not exactly how you should be. He has a vision that you would be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? If our Father has spoken over your life, a vision that goes on into eternity, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also give us freely all things? Our God is for us. Your Father in heaven is for you. He did not spare his son. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sakes we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I think about our lives. I'm closing. We come to church sinners. We come to church with no plan for our lives or maybe a plan, but it's, it's not God's plan. Many times frustrated, many times broken. And yet God calls us. And he calls us because before you were born, he saw you. And he sees in you a vision. You're not there yet. You're not perfect yet. You've not arrived yet, but he's taken you somewhere, making you more and more like Christ. He sees you in eternity, ruling and reigning. He sees you already, what you're going to be in the future. Don't give up. It's a vision that should empower you. It's a vision that should say to you, you're more than a conqueror. You're not separated. God has not finished with you. It's far greater what God has for you. It's far greater than anything you can do in your own strength. And I close simply by saying the thing that Solomon was known for, that we know him for, even sinners know him for, is his wisdom. Wisdom and understanding. But pause for just a moment before we bow our heads. Solomon the wise. But before Solomon the wise was a father on his knees saying the words, only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding. 
verse 12, the prayer of a father for his son. Dads, you count. You count in this. Let's bow our heads together. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. God bless you. We're waiting in the presence of God. There are dads here. May God give you a strength. May he bless you. May this day, may there be something that would seize a hold of your heart, an identity as a Christian of what you want your family to be, what, what you want your son, your daughter, how you want to raise them. Oh, ultimately, they're going to make their own choices. But you shall not fear fatherhood. You shall not fear it because you know who you are in Christ. If you're here today, and maybe you're a prodigal. Maybe you've been given many opportunities. You once were a Christian. You once were living for God. You once loved the Lord, but you're not in a good place today. You're far from where God wants you to be. You've left his home You've left the promises, you've left the assurances because you wanted to do it yourself. And now you realize your way is not the best way. You say, God, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to come back to Jesus. I want to come back to the Lord. I want to surrender to what I was created for, to be Christ-like. I want to follow Jesus. I want, to, I want to fulfill an eternal destiny, an eternal plan. And that means I'm going to leave my sin behind. If that is you, I want you to put your hand in the air. And someone will come and pray for you. I see that hand. Others, quickly, put your hand in the air and be honest and say, that's me. I, I need to come back to the Lord. Maybe you've never made this. Thank you for that hand. You can put that down. There are others. Maybe you've never made this decision before. You're visiting. A friend invited you. You saw some advertising. But it's actually God that's brought you here. And you can know him and he loves you. And you say, I want to turn away from my sin too. I want to, I want to be born again. I feel God's call. I've always thought to myself, I, I was made for something else. You give yourself to this world, but it's so empty. You say, I want to turn from that way. I want to be a Christian. I want you to put your hand in the air and someone will come and pray with you. Come on, put it up. You've never done this before. You want to do it this morning. Anybody else? Quickly. Anybody else? Quickly. Put your hand in the air. Balcony, back, front, left and right. My sister, you raised your hand. Look at me. Did you mean that? Did you mean what I just said? You want to, you want to become a Christian? Did you mean that? Just nod your head. Yes? Okay. You want to make a rededication? That's what you want to do. Okay, God bless you. Would you come and find a place to pray? Someone in this church is going to come with you and pray with you. Come out of your seat. Come on. Come find a place to pray. God bless you. I'm going to make a rededication to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Nice to meet you. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? I wish I'd done that. I don't want to leave the place like, like I came. I know God's calling me. Come on, quickly. Come out of your seat. We're going to wait for just a moment for you if you want to come find a place to pray. Anybody else? Is that a hand? Would you look at me? If that's you, would you come out of your seat? Come down these stairs. If that's you, come find a place to pray. These altars are open for dads, for children. 
for whatever it is God's speaking to you. Come, find a place to pray. Let's stand together. If God's spoken to you in this message, why don't you come down? It, it could have been in all sorts of areas and arenas. Come on, come find a place to pray. Some of you, it's, it's man, I'm going to fulfill what God has for me. I've been given so much. Maybe you'd say, you know what, I've come to this church and in this church I've found a spiritual fathers. I've found men that are here to help me or whatever it is. I, I don't know. I, don't, I just want to make this altar an open for anybody that feels the need and you want to pray. There are dads here. It's a big job. But God's there to help you. Come. I'm going to dedicate myself to teach my children. Amen. In the ways of the Lord. Come on. Hallelujah. God bless you. grace of God. Holy Spirit at this altar, let fathers be changed. Let men and women be changed at this altar. Spirit of God, do miracles in our hearts. Maybe you're sitting here and just before we sing, let me minister this. You were here and as I spoke about God being your father, you began to realize he has a vision for you. Don't give up. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He's working to help you be more Christ-like. He's working to help you fulfill the very purpose. He's not leaving you alone to stumble and hope. He's a good father. He teaches. He equips. He enables. Sometimes he rebukes. Sometimes he chastens. But he loves. He's working his purposes. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The God of Abraham, you're the God of covenants and faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven you do just what you said. Father, help me. All the storms may come and the winds may blow out, may steadfast.